Amos. Where we left off after finishing chapter 7, we'll go into chapter 8. Uh, 8 and, and the first half of 9, uh, just as a reminder, uh, there were some problems in Israel. Uh, one of the major ones that we like to look at was uh, the problem of idol, of an idolatry. Um, that idol idols have been set up in their uh, analog to uh, to Jerusalem, and there, they they when the uh, northern tribes left the uh, kingdom of the United Kingdom and started their own kingdom of Israel, uh, they wanted to prevent the people from going to. Jerusalem for the for the mandatory festivals because if they did it was going to slowly pull them back to Jerusalem and to the kingdom of Judah so they set up idols at Dan and at uh, uh, and at Bethel and the major temple you might say was at Bethel and they had a alternate site up at Dan, and that's where they worshipped. God was not very happy with that. But the book of Amos, even though it it sort of skirts with that a little bit and and talks about, you know, their idolatry a bit, uh, not, not specifically, but what they're really concerned and the reason that Amos is stating that God wants, is going to destroy Israel and he's not happy with them, is because of the way they treated people. Uh, Israel, at this time, at the time of Amos, was right in the middle of a uh, of a golden age, you might say. Uh, the powers around them were at their weakest, and they became a great trading and wealthy trading nation. And they divided between two. Two, uh, uh, two classes. On the one side, you have the very wealthy uh, commer uh, commercial uh, uh, commercial side, along with the priests and along with the with the uh, princes and the royalty, the elite of society. That was there, for a small part of it. And then you had the rest of the people. Uh, and so, as happens in situations like that, and I think our country is struggling with that, and uh, just about all of the, uh, the world struggles with that, when you have a, a division of society like that. Uh, the people, the common people, you might say, and the farmers, uh, the the day day workers, uh, they were being treated like dirt. They were being tromped on. They were being taxed uh, out of their uh, out of their existence. Uh, everything was. They were being robbed in the courts. Uh, the court of the courts of law were were. Uh, favored by whoever had the coin to bribe them. All this is totally contrary uh, to what God demanded. God demands in the law 
that the wealthy, there is a position for the, for the wealthy. Their job is to spread their wealth among the people that, that are in need, either by giving them money, lending the money to them, and recognizing that every seven years that any loan that I put out, including one that may have been just a week ago, was wiped out every seventh year on the Sabbath year, as I, I like to call it, when the, all debts were forgiven. And for that matter, uh, all slavers, uh, all slave, slaves in uh, Israelite slaves, maybe I rephrase it, uh, all slaves who were Israelites were freed. And that when you freed a slave, you didn't just say, hey, thanks and goodbye, shove them out the door. No, God specifically told them, you free the slave, you give them, as they're walking out the door, food, lambs, cattle, everything that they need to get on their feet again independently. And you gave it to them without, a, without any, any conditions. Just gave it to them. So what you see here in Israel is quite the opposite. And we'll touch a little bit on that. And I gotta remember whether it's the eighth or ninth chapter. Um, I'll touch a little bit about, about that. And remember what you know, we've seen it you tromp on the poor like the dirt. You just grind them into the dust. You tax the grain that the farmers are growing. Uh, and then when they go to the courts, and it's a question of whether they sell them into slavery or whether they're using that metaphorically, but uh, you sell them for silver for the price of a slipper, price of a, of a shoe. And your courts are uh, take advantage of the poor. Uh, and the wealthy in general, he rather firmly yells at. And I take my favorite, one of my favorite passages is in the uh, fourth beginning of the fourth chapter of Amos. And I've read someone who took that as uh, the, the cows of Basham uh, as being literal, that he's talking about uh, these are the, the cows, women, well-fed women who lived in Basham, but I prefer to think of that it was uh, uh, he was using the analogy of the cows of Basham. Basham, which is currently the Golan Heights, uh, was a very lush pasture land, and the cows there were sleek and fat and just, they had life just perfect, until of course uh, they were let off to slaughter, and uh, the analogy continues in, in that fourth chapter where, okay, you cows of Basham <laughs> who live in the lap of luxury, and then tells them that you're going to be led off to slaughter, just like the cows of Basham would be. But that's my take on it. Um, and so that's what's going on. Just as a reminder before we jump in the eighth chapter, which is really the, the uh, um, where God begins tell, showing, uh, showing Amos that the end is coming soon. 
and the end. God's timing a little different. End is coming soon is about 20, 20 to 40 years. 40 years probably uh, from when this was written. So he begins, um, he sees the Lord standing by the altar. And, and the uh, Lord says, strike the tops of the pillars, show that the thresholds shake, bring them down on the heads of the people. And those who are left, I'll kill with the sword. Okay, you're going to crush them under the temple. So he's going to be taking care of the temple. Uh, and, and, the, uh, and whoever survives that, they're going to be killed by the sword. Um, now, no one is going to get away, uh, though later on he says that there will be a remnant. Some, they would flee to, to uh, Judah, there were ones of the, these tribes in Judah, and some would flee, and when he was all done, uh, there were some that were even too worthless to the Assyrians to kill, and so they dragged the rest of the way. Uh, no one's going to escape. Even though they were to dig a hole in the ground all the way to the center of the earth, I'll still find them. I'll still find them. And, uh, and I will not take my hand uh, off of them. Though they climb to the heavens above, I'll bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Mount, Mount Carmel, uh, that's the highest peak, I think, in in the kingdom of Israel. Uh, it's up on a little peninsula, is about center, jutting out into the, uh, into the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Um, and even if they hide themselves on top of Mount Carmel, I'll hunt them down and seize them. And though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, and I think that that's a little metaphorical uh, in many ways, but because you, you're not going to hide from the eyes of God. If you do, if they do, I'll send a serpent there to to, uh, to bite them, to strike them. Um, though they're driven off into exile, they're dragged off into exile by the enemies. I will command the sword slay them. In um, uh, um, in the seventh chapter, when he speaks to when Amos uh, speaks to Azamiah, the the high priest in Bethel, uh, he tells him that your wife is going to be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided, and you yourself will die in a pagan country, or in a or uh, in a uh, unclean in the Hebrew country. Uh, and Israel will surely go off into exile. Uh, that's what he's repeating, that same kind of thing, for the entire group of, of Israel. Then he says that uh, he says uh, Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises up like the Nile and sinks like the river of Egypt. 
He builds his lofty place in the heavens and sets its foundations on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea, pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Uh, this little interlude here, we see th three times this same type of interlude in the book of Amos. And we'll jump back to the fourth chapter. Uh, and, and we'll start in the um, 13th verse. Is it 13? Yeah. The 13th verse where he says, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals and reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness, treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. So that's the first of three uh, of which in the eighth chapter is the third where he includes a song of praise to God. And it's thought that this song may have been a, uh, a, pray, a, a doxology uh, that was out a praise to God that was known very well by and sung by the uh, people of that time. He does the same thing in the fifth chapter, uh, starting in the eighth verse, where he says, He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn, who darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. All these passages end with the Lord is his name. Eighth chapter, again, the Lord is his name. Oh, turned the page wrong. That was the ninth chapter. I was wondering why it was the ninth chapter. It, should, it was the ninth, but at any rate, uh, he's looking at, in the eighth chapter, the destruction of of uh, Israel, and no one's going to. And uh, he's saying the time is ripe. Shows him a basket. What do you see? Ripe fruit. The time is ripe for Israel. It's going to be it's going to be forty years at the most before the Assyrians come down and destroy Israel and kill everyone. Uh, and then he begins the same, the, giving a reason. Uh, he says that uh, the songs in the temple will turn into wailing. And many, many bodies flung everywhere, silence. So where your songs are going to be mourning, wails and mourning, such as we saw in the seventh chapter, seventh or the uh, fifth chapter. And he's saying that everywhere there'll be bodies and there'll be silence. Uh, if, if you reminding you of, uh, of in Lamentations, uh, at the beginning of Lamentations, he just, the, the picture of the person sitting there, the author sitting there, staring out over the desolation of of the city and the silence of it. 
it sort of reminds me of these things where where there's been total destruction and and you know a movie or something and you you see it and all you hear is the wind blowing through through the uh, through the destruction there well that's what it's going to be like for at the temple uh, and then he goes into what their problem is once again hear this you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. So he's speaking to the elite, which is who is most of, of with this, uh, uh, th this book is speaking to the elite, uh, the elite. You trample the needy, you do away with the poor of the land, saying this, when will the new moon be over so that we can sell grain? New moon being one of their festivals that they would have. And during that time, you would dedicate yourself uh, to God and you would, and the markets would all be closed and say, when is this festival going to be over so I can start selling again? I feel that way I'm old. I feel that way sometimes when I look at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas as, uh, as the, uh, uh, as the, Stores and the shops keep creeping more and more on what I would consider, especially in Thanksgiving, as sacred time when we are giving thanks to God. But we're going to give thanks to God by lining up and waiting for the doors to open to buy early for Christmas. Uh, that's what they're saying here. Same sort of thing. So it, it does apply to us. When is the new moon going to be over? Now, when's the Sabbath going to be ended so that we may market wheat? And then the answer on that also along with the line, sort of parenthetically, we'll market wheat, well, skimping on the measure, uh, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, and buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling even the sweepings with the wheat. So they want to open the markets so they can cheat the poor. And they can cheat the, 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 the workers and make more money for themselves so they can have bigger mansions and more vineyards, which we had seen in earlier in, in this book that they're not going to taste any of anything from the vineyards and they're and not going to live in their winter homes and their summer homes and their stone mansions. And then the Lord is sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. We live in a, in, in, with uh, faith and mercy and hope and mercy from God. God is saying in here about the Israelites because of what they do. Mercy and grace may never happen. I'm not going to forget what you've done. I'm not going to forget it. And he's uh, and of course the the we, as we talked a bit uh, in the, uh, earlier with the with the day of the Lord, and they're just saying, okay, we're waiting for the day of the Lord when we will be saved from our uh, from our enemies. 
and God reminding them, you don't want to see the day of the Lord because you are the enemy to me. And just like Judah with, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, uh, the Assyrians are going to be God's tools. And he's going to use them to mete out his punishment on Israel. And uh, we know from Babylon, from the Babylonians, when they destroyed Judah, that it was no stone left unturned, no person left unkilled, unless they were too worthless to dull your sword on. And you just sort of shoved them out. Fend for yourself. Um, God is not happy. God is angry. And he is telling them, I have sworn by myself. Who else can he swear by? Uh, the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise up like the Nile, sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth and in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning, your singing into weeping. I will make all you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make the time of mourning like that be like mourning for an only son and at the end of a bitter day. It'll, uh, and uh, so he's warning them. It's coming. I've had enough of you. I'm very angry. I will not forgive you. And you will be destroyed. I'm going to send an enemy to take that. And then he says probably the most uh, awful thing. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I'm going to send a famine you won't hear from me. I will not send my prophets for you. You won't hear it. You'll want to hear it, but it's not there. I'm not going to speak through it. I'm done talking with you. And the people will stagger from sea to sea, wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, and they will not find it quite a bleak thing when they when God is saying I'm not going to talk to you anymore I've totally turned my back on you the lovely in that day the lovely young woman and the strong young men will faint because of thirst those who swear by the sin of Samaria who say as surely as your God lives Dan as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, Beersheba being, at, as we mentioned earlier, being at the very southern end of Judah, matter of fact, but it was considered a holy site uh, by both Judah and uh, 
and by Israel because of, uh, of the appearances of God to all the patriarchs there. Uh, as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. So, as surely as your God lives in death, well, that's your God. That's not your God. And the one in Beersheba, that's your God. That's not your God. That's not the true God. In earlier, when when they were saying, "Oh, well, when all our religious festivals," uh, they they remember these were made. These religious festivals had been perverted by, to idolatry, and God didn't didn't. Uh, listen to them, didn't accept their sacrifices or anything else they had. But one thing he's saying, even your uh, your festivals that I detest, you wish that you could get over with quicker so that you could get back to cheating people. You wish that they could just stop. Come on, we're done with that. Now I want to get the markets open so I can go rob the poor. So I can make everybody but me more poor, more needy, more in need of God, but I don't give them God. And we go into the ninth chapter in the first, the first section of it, and uh, the the ninth chapter is, is is sort of it's two things. First part is your Israel, you're going to be destroyed completely. Then the second half is, starting in verse 11, in that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. So he goes from Israel, you're going to be destroyed, to there's going to be restoration eventually. We'll cover that, the restoration, next week, because I think it's a, a very critical and important to, uh, to take a little bit more time with that section from verse 11 to verse 15. So we'll look at that next week and then we'll look at uh, a couple of other things and, and recap a bit. So the ninth chapter, which I had already started and, and backed away from, so we'll, we'll just look. He's saying um, he's, at the, he's uh, giving a vision uh, at the altar. I assume this is the altar at Bethel. I'm going to take and shake the pillars of it. The thresholds will shake and uh, bring the temple down on the people. Uh, this reminds me of Samson, by the way. Uh, the death of Samson, uh, he's blinded. He's been, I think he's been, had his head shaved. So he's no longer has the strength that God had given him before. He's chained as an example to the temple of Baal, and he makes one last prayer to God. God, just give me the strength to pull this down and destroy and destroy this temple. And God answered that prayer, gave him the strength, and he pulled that down, and the temple came down on the heads of all the Baal worshipers. Well, God's saying the same thing. I'm just going to strike 
the pillars of this, the thresholds are going to shake, and everything's going to come down. That's the first. And no one, um, and anyone who's left, they'll die by the sword. We mentioned that it doesn't matter where you go, you can't hide from me. Whether you dig a hole down all the way to uh, Sheol, all the way down to, uh, to the realm of the dead, I'll find you and I'll kill you. If you climb up to heavens, I'll find you and I'll kill you. If you go to the top of Mount Carmel, I'll find you and I'll kill you. If you go down to the bottom of the ocean thinking I can't, that I can't see you, I'll send a serpent there to bite you. So they're going to be destroyed completely. Um, then he ha then he goes into uh, into this song that we've seen two other times. Uh, it's one of praise to God for who he is and what he does and what he can do. And he's saying he touches the earth and it melts. And all who live in it mourn, the whole land rises like the Nile and sinks like the river of Egypt. We've seen that two or three times, that phrase earlier. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens, sets his foundations on the earth, calls for the, the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. So the Lord that they're seeing here is one of destruction. He can touch the earth and it melts. And all who live in the earth mourn. He shakes it like the Nile rises up, overflows all the land and then withdraws. I can do that. He, and he calls forth the waters of the sea and he can pour it over the face of the land. This is a vision of God, not as a creator, but as a, as a destroyer. He has that power. Are not the Israelites, same to me as the Cushites. The Cushites come from the, the region of Sudan, a uh, very powerful uh, kingdom at one time, eventually uh, uh, conquered by the, by the Egyptians. Uh, and for one time, for one period of time, the Egyptian kings, or pharaohs, were, were Cushites. So, um, are you Israelites? You're the same to me as the Cushites. Uh, didn't I bring Israel up out of Egypt? Just like I brought the Philistines, the Philistines uh, from Kaftor, which is Cyprus, and the Arameans from Kerr. We don't know where Kerr is. Probably out to the east of the Jordan, uh, maybe up in the hills, not sure where it is. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful nation, sinful kingdom, Israel, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. I will not... Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. 
For I will give command, and I will shake the people of Israel among the nations, as the grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not over, overtake or meet us, they will die by the sword. So this is where we leave off in, in the, the eighth and ninth chapters of Amos. Total destruction will be coming. There will be a remnant, uh, but it will be a very small remnant. The elite will be all slaughtered. They will be, and the ones that aren't, uh, as we mentioned in the fourth chapter of Amos, where these fat cattle in uh, Basham are going to be let out on hooks and fish hooks. And uh, the, uh, I think it's Josephus that said that, uh, that when they led them, the, the elite out of Samaria, which is Israel, uh, they had hooks pulled through their cheeks and tied to chains, and they just dragged them off to... Uh, dragged them off to Assyria where they uh, killed them or scattered them among the people there. Um, they lost all their genealogy records, so any that survived uh, the destruction of Israel and maybe went to Judah and survived that, maybe were carried off to Babylon, when Judah returned, uh, there were a number of priests and other uh, and Levites and such that couldn't prove their genealogy. A number of the Judah of the of the people of Judah that were there, and if they couldn't produce their prove their genealogy so that they knew that yeah these are our children of Israel, uh, they they couldn't come. And so these people are being let off and dispersed in a way that they'll never rise again. And that's what makes the 11th through the 15th verse, which we'll cover next week, uh, problematic to me, but, but uh, interesting what he's saying to the Israelites, because he's talking about the restoration of Israel. We would, we would see that very quickly as being uh, in Christ and in the Messiah. And, it, and certainly the first few verses of that imply that it's going to be through the Messiah that they return. So we'll cover that next week, though. Any questions? We've got uh, 10 minutes to field any questions that anyone has. Otherwise, you may get out early. Um, so anyone have any questions? Of course, that may end all the questions. Any questions about this? I'll throw one question out, uh, which is interesting. Uh, do we truly want to see the day of the Lord in our time? Just think about it. Well, I think one of my prayers is that that he does not turn his face from us. We are in a period of extreme evil uh, on our children and society as well. 
And it, it frightens me that all the path that's going on right now, and I just say, Lord, where are you? And and I would I would uh, I would probably counter that a bit <laughs> with in the time of Jesus, uh, what we have here looks just pristine and pure compared to Rome. Yeah, I wasn't there. I may be old. And but uh, but remember that remember that God did destroy Rome. Uh, so maybe maybe it'll be. You know, he's, there is nothing sacred, I think, in God's mind about the United States of America. There is everything sacred in God's heart and mind about the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that we need to make sure first that we take the log out of our own eye um, before we start trying to take the the might or the moat or whatever the bit out of the eyes of our country we need to pr we need to take our house and get it in order our house being the church we need to purify it we need to bring it in line with god and i think that we sometimes forget books like amos and we sometimes forget sections of Matthew, like the 25th chapter. Uh, and we sometimes forget that what the church, that the church needs to be the bride of Christ and needs to be pure and clean. But we're people, we're God's people, and we stumble and fall, and, but we need to constantly be reminded of what God's expectations for us are. You asked about the, the day of the Lord, and I know what the the answer if you're thinking about in you know the seventh eighth century BC, because a lot of the prophets talked about the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Obadiah, who was really written for Edom, um, and it applied to the Jews as well. But uh, not, but they weren't Jews at that time. Um, the, the Israelites as well, but the uh, uh, the day of the Lord could be. It, it sort of depends. Uh, the day of the Lord, in our, be thought of as the second coming of Christ, and yeah, we would look forward to that. Yeah, but the uh, uh, the day of the Lord, there's nothing specific about that as to what it actually refers to a particular day. The day of the Lord at that time was going to be the fall of Israel in 722, mm -hmm. the fall of Judah, Judah in 586. And those were kind of the days of the Lord then. In the days between the Testaments, mm -hmm. the the day of the Lord may have been when the Maccabees defeated the Romans, essentially, or the the, the Syrians. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that they were uh, uh, victorious and, and uh, powerful again. The day of the Lord and the type of 
of David and Solomon may have been, it, it could have been the, the rise of David's and Solomon's kingdom to actually be some of the most powerful uh, political systems in the world at that time. So it, it all depends, you know, kind of on what time you're looking at. If we're looking at the day of the Lord now, and even if it is the destruction of a lot of the societies that we know now, it could be a good thing. You know, for if you are a child of God, you have nothing to fear about the day of the Lord. Yeah. If you are uh, like the, the rich folks in Amos, yeah, you have yeah, a lot to fear yeah. about that. So that, that's all I'm saying is that we, we can't just arbitrarily say the, the day of the Lord is a good thing or a bad thing because it kind of depends on which side you're on. If you're on the Lord's side, his day is a good day. It could be. But um, if you're not on the Lord's side and he doesn't consider you on his side, the day of the Lord could be a very bad thing. If he turns his back on you, Day of the Lord is a bad thing. Uh, Matthew, the 25th chapter, is one that, that always makes me uncomfortable because you're really looking at the final day of the Lord, you might say, and the test that, that uh, Jesus puts forward is one reminiscent of Amos, reminiscent of Deuteronomy, reminiscent of God's desire for and is for the people who are in need. God's love for the weak. God's desire to bring the poor, uh, the, the powerless, uh, into, uh, into his society. Uh, Ted, yeah. Jesus also used Amos in in Matthew, when he, when he said, by the same way that you judge other people, I will judge you. you. So when we think about, uh, I must be doing well, the Lord must love me, I'm not doing well, prosperity, uh, religion, uh, I think uh, that's the way he's going to judge us, and that's where we judge others. Yeah, look at the beginning of you know, Matthew Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Uh, that's that's a struggle, uh, and and I, I like to look at Matthew. I think it's from about verse uh, chapter twenty-two to through uh, the middle of chapter twenty-five as being a unit, uh, as being Jesus getting his last chance to to talk to his disciples and, and teach them what is important, and he ends it with the sheep and the goats. And saying, listen to me, this is important. That you take care of those who are in need. You take care of the people who don't ha can't afford clothes on put on to keep them warm. The people who are in prison, the people that are hungry, are thirsty. Take care of them. You and talking to the, the sheep, you did this for me. You did this to me. And they said, well, wait a minute, we never did that to you. He said, yes, you did. When you did it to the least of my people, you did it to me. 
and then the goats deer get the opposite get the opposite uh, treatment, and the goats get thrown out. Uh, it's it's a a vision of the of the end times, which I think that we need to keep in mind. Um, we need to remember that Jesus didn't leave us alone. We get. I was going to say is, is that you know we have to think about too like even speaks about in First Corinthians fifteen you know um, starting in fifty two that you know the good thing like you know my brother said in reference to it would be a good day. It's a good day. Is that for Christians and those that are in Christ, you know, we will be changed from a perishable form to an imperishable form. In the twinkling of an eye. Amen. So it's one of those type of things where it's just like if we live faithful unto death, like what we're called to do mm -hmm. once we were baptized and became a member of the church, and we actually were doing what we're supposed to do, and and taking those beatitudes of the you know uh, the fruits of the um, spirit that we talked about last week. It's one of those type of things where it's just like it's going to be a good day for us. It will be. You know what I mean? Because that'll be a glorious day to see the Lord coming. And knowing that it, it would be that quick and the other saints would be brought up. So it's one of those type of things where it's just, it's one of those, one, we know that God is with us all the time. Things are mm -hmm. going to happen in our lives. Yep. If we think about the hedge of protection that he keeps around us and he keeps around our families, even though the things that are going on in the world are, are horrible. I mean, right now they're yeah. terrible. But the thing is, he keeps his hedge of protection around us. And that's, that's one thing that is, is a blessing. And so the thing is, is that, you know, it's not anything to really be worried about on the last day. Just know that, you know, just praying that those that haven't found the Lord and haven't, we haven't been trusted and we haven't penetrated their souls, that we should, that, we, that that's something we pray for. Yeah, thank you. Because that, uh, that, we, the, the day of the Lord for in in uh, in the current kingdom, you might say, is a time of rejoicing. Because finally we're we're going to be reunited with with our with our Lord, and we're going to be uh, in His kingdom, and it's uh, and we'll be transformed, and it's just a, a tremendous blessing. But we need to make sure that we try to live as best we are able God's desires for for us. And that includes remembering what happened to Israel. Remember what happened to Judah. Why it happened. What they did wrong. What we do wrong in our society. So that we can... Because the church is not meant to be our society that we live that that, that uh, we walk around daily and do work that's the world that's the world that's out there and we're not supposed to love the world the church his body his bride that's what we need we need and the love that we have to have is to him and to him alone um, with that we've run out of time uh, thank you Next week, uh, we will look at that last half of chapter 9, and we will 
make a quick recap of Amos. There's a section I want to, uh, I, I definitely want to talk about chapter 5. Uh, structurally, it is really beautiful. And I like structure and mathematician. I like structure of things. And the structure of, of chapter 5 is just absolutely beautiful. When you, when, and I will rearrange the verses in chapter 5 uh, to try to show uh, the, the beauty of the structure of that. So next week, I'll, we'll finish Amos. And, um, and I don't know who then comes, who will be teaching the week after that. But I will probably not be. I'll probably take, <laughs> so, take a few weeks off. So thank you for being here. God bless you. And have a good week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.